0: Welcome to the Wilton Baptist Church, where we worship God, walk with others, and win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Pastor Steve, and our congregation is pleased to share this message with you today, and we pray it'll be a blessing and an encouragement to you. Blessings as you listen or watch. talk to you today about the better story as part of our christmas eve celebration of christ the greatest story ever told have you heard that name that film title 1965 epic telling retelling of the biblical account of jesus of nazareth and it goes from the nativity through all the way to the cross and the ascension of christ In this film, uh, Charlton Heston, Sidney Poitier, uh, Martin Lando, and uh, John Wayne, they all play a part in this really good film. And I like the name. I like this name, The Greatest Story Ever Told. The gospel story, the Christmas story, the Christian story is the greatest story ever told. We all have stories, and we're all part of a larger story. You have a micro story within a macro story. Your life is a small part of a bigger picture in the whole scheme of things. Life is full of stories. Society is built on stories. Films, books, music have stories in them. Even 30-second commercials have stories in it that share, that communicate, that tell something. Family life revolves around stories. Maybe you'll share some stories uh, with uh, family gatherings in the coming days. We live and love a world of stories. Now, when I say stories, it's not always meaning something that's fictional or fable. But even fictional stories are stories with meaning. When we talk about the story of the Bible or the story of Christianity, I'm not talking about a yarn or a tale or just making something up, but nonfiction, like this stuff is a story that is for real. Telling a Better Story, a terrific book about how to talk about God in a skeptical age uh, is a book that uh, I read recently, and if you want something to read, that would be uh, a good one for sure to, to look at. And in this, in this book, some great uh, teaching is there. And here's one of these teachings or things that I've learned is that all stories have similar qualities. All stories have similar qualities. So you have some people in a story. They're living their lives. They live in a specific place. They have different jobs. They have different challenges. They're just doing what they do in their location, wherever they're placed at in the story. And then uh, an antagonist. Comes some problem develops and the people living over here they have some something to contend with there's an issue there's something to uh, work on or, or to resolve and then a protagonist or someone with the answer arrives and says i have the answer i'm here to rescue you i'm here to uh, solve the problem that has arisen in your story all stories have similar qualities about it. I never really thought about it until recently, but all stories tell something. Even the non, the, the fictional ones tell something. Now, within those stories, you learn a lot about worldviews, like how, how did these people living in this location at this time encounter this problem? How did they perceive that problem? Where did they look for rescue? Where did they look for resolution to, to solve the problem that come up in a story of their life? Where do they look? It kind of helps with determining I had a, a professor, a professor in seminary. His name was Fred is Fred Smith, and he had these four worldview questions. This is what we've been talking about this Christmas season is our worldview. And how do you determine your worldview? He identified these four questions: Who are we? Where are we? What's wrong? And then what's the answer? And we've looked at different scenarios and different characters in the Bible with this. What is a worldview? Worldviews are not systematic nor even always conscious. They are perceptual frameworks or ways of seeing. We often assume the truth of our own worldview without carefully examining it. Worldviews include philosophies and theologies, but it's not always identical, doesn't always match up. In its light, if we're going to see things God's way, the Bible must be our dominant influence in our lives. The source for our worldview is this book. It must be where we find that. The Bible is more than merely something we pick up and read for inspiration. The Bible must be something that determines our thinking, which determines our behavior, which determines then our destiny. What are we going to do with our story, within the bigger story, of Christ, We've looked at consumerism from Mary and Joseph, and, and as they rode in or walked into Bethlehem, they don't have any job, no food, no money, nowhere even to stay for lodging, and God said, don't worry about that, Emmanuel, God with us, that's the answer to consumerism, Emmanuel. Individualism, we looked at Herod, a classic example of individualism. Uh, <laughs> I'll do anything, even outside of the law, breaking the law, bending the law, just killing people if it fulfills what I want. Herod is a terrific example of, of that. Then we looked at the New Age and wise men last time and uh, how they followed the star and why did they follow the star. And today we're kind of looking at a, a summary of what. Is your world view? I'll give a lot of examples here in just a moment, and uh, we'll be looking here in Luke chapter two for this. There's three summaries, I guess you could say. There's the atomic worldview, is that we're just bouncing off of each other, and it doesn't matter how you jostle somebody else, you just kind of bounce off of each other. I don't need them. I don't need to be around people. I'm just going to bounce off of other people and then continue on through life. There's the oceanic worldview, which itself to uh, Buddhism and Hinduism, which would say something like, well, uh, I think that you are a cow and you are an insect and uh, we're just all one together. The universe, everything's just all one and there's no difference between anything. You're just as good as a tree or uh, a dog or a cat. And that's the oceanic worldview. And then there is the... Uh, relational worldview. Not everything's one. Not everything is bouncing off of each other, but relational, we do relate and affect one another with our lives. And this is the Bible worldview. Interconnected, we affect others. And we see this on every page of Scripture, and we see this in the Christmas story as well. And I'll demonstrate it to you. So the Bible worldview is a relational a relational worldview. So let's look at some characters here, and uh, let's see how relational this is. So Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 and 2, we have the first two characters. And it came to pass in those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. Okay, so uh, the first major player here is Caesar Augustus. Did Caesar Augustus, because of his, his uh, law, his dictate, his mandate to go get taxed, let uh, get a census going on, I want to know how much money we can collect and all this, did that affect the Christmas story? Absolutely. Now, the next guy is kind of there just like as a place marker. Uh, Cyrenius was governor of Syria. Okay, it kind of gives us a time frame. He doesn't seem to affect it that much, but being the governor up in the north of Syria, I mean, I suppose he could have affected the story some, but I see him more as a a place marker in time. Verse 4, Joseph then, another key player, went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, unto that city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Hundreds of years before this, who also is part of the story? David is. Before, he's not there. It's his city, though. It's his caves. It was his fields where he had tended to some of those sheep. And then Mary, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. They're also part Of this. All of these characters relate to each other in some form or fashion. They're not just bouncing off of each other, they're not all just one, but they they are interwoven and connected in some ways. As we continue then, verse eight, there's shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And so by the time of these shepherds, it was more than just a family occupation. A lot of people actually looked down on the shepherds. The shepherds smelled bad. I don't know if you Uh, know what sheep smell like, but especially you start getting their wool wet and they're out in the countryside, oh, it's just, it's a nasty thing. And these guys would sleep with their sheep. They would care for their sheep. There's different examples throughout the Bible of how uh, far they would go to care for uh, their, with tender care for their sheep, but they would count their sheep To make sure they had all of their flock there we find examples of that in jeremiah they would lift up on their shoulders the ones that were weak and feeble and carry them around Uh, jeremiah talks about that or isaiah rather talks about that they would even stack rocks in large rectangles and squares with small entrances at the at the front of it to make sure the sheep could sleep in there to protect them from the wolves and lions and other creatures that uh, could could capture and kill them, and to help prevent them from wandering away, they would sleep in those sheep pens. The shepherds would do all of these things, and while people looked down on them, God did not look down on them. They are key characters, and they were the first ones who received this announcement. God told them, he communicated to them this amazing thing, that Jesus is born. These men were the ones who were raising the perfect lambs, the ones without spot and blemish, out on the countryside of uh, Bethlehem, the same place where Ruth met Boaz, in the barley fields, same fields. Later on, the same fields where David tended to his sheep. And probably, I really believe, the same caves, the same caves where they would have their mom, the ewes come in, the mama sheep come in, and give birth to their little baby lambs. And there in the, in those caves, they would wrap those little babies in swaddling clothes so that they would not, would not touch the rocks on the walls in the caves that they were in. It's these shepherds. It's these guys. What an amazing thing. They slept on the same hillsides as David. They were noticed and notified by God. There's more characters here Because notice in verse 10, or actually verse 9, Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. Here's what the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, we don't know the name of this angel. He's just the angel of the Lord. That's how he's described here. We don't know uh, which angel in particular he is. The word angel simply means a messenger. But just imagine the terror and the awe and the wonder of this moment as this bright light shines as angel starts to talk to these lowly shepherds. And then there's the main character of all of the Bible and the main character of all of Christianity. And it just simply says here, the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's not even named Jesus yet. Formally, that takes place eight days later over at the temple. Uh, J. Vernon McGee talks about uh, this. uh, He quotes George MacDonald, who put it this way. They were all looking for a king to slay their foes and lift them high. Thou camest a little baby thing that made a woman cry. That's the way the Savior came into the world. He did not lay aside his deity, he laid aside his glory. There should have been more than just a few shepherds and angels to welcome him. All of creation should have been there. Instead of collecting taxes, that fellow see should have been in Bethlehem to worship Jesus. Jesus Christ could have forced him to do that very thing, but he did not. He laid aside, not his deity, but his prerogatives of deity, and became a little baby thing, as J. Verne McGee said. Great, great truth to that. Jesus is the hero of the human story. Jesus is the hero of the Christmas story. Jesus is the hero of the gospel story. Jesus is the hero of the Christian story. Is Jesus the hero of your life? So let's ask baby Jesus these life worldview questions. Conjecture with me, who am I? Who are we is the first one. Who am I? I am the sinless son of God who came in humility with love and truth along with grace and peace. Here's Jesus. Where am I? I left heaven to be born as a human and laid in a manger in a cave around Bethlehem in Israel. I am living among my creation. Absolutely true. What's wrong, baby Jesus? Sin. My people have sinned. Sin, their sin separates them from God the Father sin is the problem the relationship needs restored so baby jesus what's the answer i am i am the answer i will grow up become a a young man i will go around teaching in the countrysides and healing people I will go up that hill called Golgotha, Mount Calvary, and there I will shed my blood as the perfect Lamb of God and die for their sins, for their sins. That's the answer. I am the answer. Only I can forgive sin. Only I can reconcile with the Father. I have the power of restoration and redemption for all humanity. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men, for those who believe the gospel, receiving Jesus Christ as their own. It's a guarantee. It's a promise for those who believe. And maybe not immediately peace on earth, but you can have peace with God in your heart. And when Christ comes back, and he's coming back one day, he'll set up peace on this earth. That's what a lot of the people were looking forward to in his first coming. So in summary, as the only begotten, sinless son of God... I alone can offer myself as the perfect lamb, the only sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. Only I can offer what other stories attempt to imitate. I am the one who offer restoration and reconciliation and redemption. So here's some verses about this. 1 Timothy 2.5, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not your works plus Jesus or a good life plus Jesus. It's Christ and Christ alone. That's how a person believes and is saved. Has their sins totally erased and forgiven. First Peter 1.18, For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers. It's not something you could purchase or buy. It's a free gift. That's how we're redeemed by the blood of Christ. Galatians 1, 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. And so you can be delivered only through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. This book tells you to have reconcil- reconciliation, or, or how to be reconciled with God. Believe in the gospel, trust in Christ for yourself. So let's consider three stories as, as examples. So remember there's the uh, micro stories. Every story is a smaller part of a bigger story, and over the next few days, you may, you may watch some of these stories, and uh, I hope that you will, and as you do, look for the bigger story, the better story. So let's talk about George Bailey, 1946, It's a Wonderful Life, probably to me, uh, I, I, lo- I really love this film, a lot of sad things in it, but it's a really, it's a good film, very thought-provoking. George Bailey has so many problems he's thinking about ending it all, and it's Christmas time. As the angels discuss George, we see his life in flashback. As George is about to jump from a bridge, he ends up rescuing his guardian angel, Clarence, who then shows George what his town would have looked like if it hadn't been for George having been alive and and living his life and affecting, relationally, all the people in his life george turns from his performance-based individualism and finds there's a better story than the story he's currently writing with his life god has a better plan his new story is one of second chances restoration and redemption it's a microcosm of a bigger story the second one maybe some of you like this the grinch 1966 animated film always like the guy singing, you're a mean one. You know that guy? I love that. (laughs) Like that guy's voice. Don't be the mean one, right? Um, This film follows the Grinch, a cranky, uh, solitary creature who attempts to thwart the Christmas plans by stealing Christmas gifts and decorations from homes of the nearby town of Whoville on Christmas Eve. Miraculously, the Grinch realizes that Christmas is not all about money and presents. The Grinch's materialism shortchanges him, and he realizes there's a better story than the one he's writing. There's more to life in acquiring stuff. There's more to Christmas as his heart grows three times bigger that day. There's a lot more to the Christmas story than what he knew to that point. And his story then becomes one of reconciliation and redemption as he then gives all the things back and reconciles with those who's of Whoville. The next story then is Elf. I was asking some teenagers recently, what's your favorite Christmas film? And a bunch of them said Elf. So I looked up Elf. And here's Elf. Uh, is a 2003 American Christmas comedy film. And uh, Buddy is a human raised by Santa's elves. I don't know how he got there, but he's raised by Santa's elves, who learns about his origins and heads to New York City to meet his biological father. When he arrives, he causes all kinds of commotion and eventually is able to prove who his father is. After disrupting his father's business deal, Buddy feels rejected and leaves. He walks away. His father, on realizing his harsh mistake, quits his job and finds Buddy to reconcile their relationship. Elf or Buddy and his father find a better story and includes restoration and redemption and reconciliation. No matter what film or book, You read in the coming days. Look for a micro story. It's a micro story of a bigger story, the better story, which is Jesus. Examine and think about your life. You have a small part of a bigger story. And friends, I'm here to tell you this morning that the incarnation, the Christmas story, is the better story. There's a lot of alternatives, but this is the better story. This is the best story. Whatever seasonal stories you look at this year, look for ways they relate to the better story of Christianity. The incarnation is a better story in three ways. The Christmas story is better. And the first reason is this. In verse 10, it offers good news to all. And this is what the angel said to these shepherds there on that countryside. He says, Peace on earth, or actually fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And here's this term, good news, this good news to all. And this is a term that has to do with the term evangelize or evangelism. Uegelizo is to announce the good news or to bring the good news. And he says, I have something that is good news for everyone. And friends, It's not something you purchase. It's just a free gift. It's available to all. Jesus paid it all. It's good news for everyone of all time and whoever will ever come after us. It's good news. And uh, you can have this good news. It's, It's there for everyone. The gospel is free and available to whoever will accept it. Like Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord... Shall be saved. Not like I hope so or maybe or it might work out. It's like I can know this. I am saved. I am forgiven because of Jesus Christ. So this is available for all. Number two, it provides peace with God. Notice in verse 14, as the angels are saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Irene, peace, goodwill toward men. And there's an idea here of peace, not just with one another, but peace with God. There's a peace that you can have with God because of Christ. Goodwill is used here again. Goodwill toward men means good pleasure or desire. I have good desires. I have good thoughts. I have a good pleasure in My people, they've called upon me. They've looked to me. Friends, God has a better story than a story that you may be living without Jesus. You may be living apart from Christ. You're not included God at all in your life. God has a better story, and your story can be rewritten to include God in your life, to include Christianity and Jesus in your life, and it's a better story. It's available for you. You can have peace with God. With all the pain and suffering, the problems that we see, there's still going to be pain and suffering and problems. But now you have Jesus with you. Now you have Him alongside you as the bigger story is unfolding. Christianity offers hope and comfort and peace in the midst of all the chaos and craziness and difficulty and sinfulness of this world. In our lifetimes, we'll continue to see conflict and sorrow and trouble you can know I have peace with God God's not angry with me I'm not holding back anything with God he has forgiven me I've been cleansed I have trusted and I know Jesus is my Savior you can have that peace in your heart Romans 5 1 therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ In 2 Corinthians 5.18, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, this is part of that bigger story, reconciliation, redemption. Having this relationship with God through your relationship with Jesus Christ. That brings us to number three. It gives us something to live for. Notice what these shepherds do in response. As they're leaving, they return back to their shepherd fields with their sheep, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. You see, it gives us something to live for. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have a purpose. You have a mission. You have uh, some plans that God has laid out in front of you. And uh, here, this relational worldview, our response to God's love and his sacrifice, it, it really is an ongoing thing. It's a relational Response. Notice how these guys are glorifying God. Doxa, doxazo, to glorify the Lord. Uh, like the doxology, I'm going to glorify God. It means to render or esteem glorious. Several times the Bible demonstrates how we can do this. For example, 1 Corinthians 10 31, do all to the glory of God. We're to glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which are God's. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, because after all the verses continue, we're bought, with a price. we're bought with a price. That's why we glorify God in our body and in our spirit. And then Romans 15, verse 6, that you may with one mouth glorify God. So how I'm speaking saying what's going on with my word, glorify the Lord. We glorify God every day not just some days, And on Sundays, Sunday's been designated and set apart as a day that we publicly worship and glorify God. And that's what you've been doing. I mean, you bowed your head in reverence to pray a moment ago. You were opening your mouth and singing along with the words. You have your scriptures in front. You're attentive to a Bible message. This is part of how we are glorifying, we're exalting, we're lifting up God's name together in a public space. There's a lot of people watching at home as well, and they're, they're trying to do that. But we're, I'm talking about together we're in this place worshiping the Lord. And every day, not just Sundays, but every day, we can glorify God. Then they're praising God. They're praising God. The word praise here is, is Greek, of course, but the most common Hebrew equivalent where all this originated from Was a pictograph originally in hebrew it was a pictograph and in the pictograph for it's the word halal halal you can see the the characters there you read it from right to left but basically it's this a man or woman lifting her hands up it was a pictograph and then it eventually evolved into the more common characters in hebrew of today but the word halal and this this halal, those, those letters are lamb, the, the two L's there are lamb, but halal is uh, is raising my hands. It was a form of praise. And any time they would write it, they would etch this on a stone or something. Okay, why were we doing this? We're praising God. We're lifting our hands up. Like in First Timothy, I'm lifting up holy hands to the Lord. Same idea. A few months ago, I had the opportunity to go to a counseling seminar. And at the counseling seminar, a rather famous musician was there named Ryan Page. Ryan Page, an outstanding uh, vocalist. And she has a deformity from birth where her hands are like this, you see. And I was sitting back pretty far away from where she was at singing. And I I didn't know at first who she was or anything. And I learned more about her story. And here she is singing a song. At this moment, when I took that, uh, that picture, she was singing this song, I am not alone. I am not alone. And the words go like this, when I walk through deep waters, I know that you will be with me. When I'm standing in the fire, I will not be overcome. Through the valley of the shadow, I will not fear. And in between some of these These words, as the music is building, she couldn't raise her hand, but you could tell she was wanting to. And instead, she had her hands lifted as high as she could like this, and she would get excited in between the the different verses and kind of just like jump a little bit. I am not alone, like this. She was doing everything with her whole being to give praise to God. And the whole song, I was like, I was crying the whole time when I realized what was happening and how in that public space she was worshiping God and praising him with all of her being. How loud to worship the Lord. I will give thee thanks in a great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. And I heard her say these words after being born with this, this defect. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. She believed it. She knew it. She lived it. She expressed it. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. In the microcosm of her story, being part of the macrocosm of Christianity, she was going to glorify and praise God. And that's the challenge for us as Christians today, no matter your circumstance, no matter the difficulties you're facing, no matter what challenges you are encountering, the protagonist has already come. The hero has already arrived. His name is Jesus. As you're writing the story of your life, I hope that you include God. I really hope that you include Jesus Christ. He's got a better story than any story that you could ever write by yourself. You are a small part of a much more vast, amazing story. It's one of grace and redemption and reconciliation and this is what we're celebrating here at Christmas time. The better story. Have you trusted Christ for yourself? I hope so. So ask yourself these worldview questions as we conclude. Because this really offers good news to all. It provides peace with God. It gives us something to live for. Who are you? Who am I? Where am I? Where am I? Not immediately here in church, but where am I in life? What is wrong? What challenges, what problems, what sin, what difficulties? And then what's the answer? Emmanuel, God with us. So, the next few days, there's micro stories. Here's some more micro stories as we conclude. May the Christmas gifts, their micro stories, remind you of the greatest gift, macro story of Jesus. May the Christmas candles remind us of Him who is the light of the world. May the Christmas trees remind us of the one who hung upon a tree. For us. May the Christmas cheer remind us of him who said, Be of good cheer. May the Christmas feast remind us of he who is the bread of life. May the Christmas bell remind us of the glorious proclamation of his birth. May the Christmas carols remind us of the angels who sing about Jesus when they said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. You see, this season is all about the bigger story of Jesus, and I hope that today you include yourself. In that story the better story let's take some moment and respond to these questions you see them on the screen with god's help i will see the better story in the other stories of life we can look around we can see other scenarios other stories playing out lord help me to see the better story in the other stories of life let me see jesus let me see christianity several people are already raising their hands you can do that if you'd like to respond god bless you yes let's look for the bigger story It's all around us. Redemption and reconciliation, it's everywhere. Number two, with God's help, I will share the better story with others this season. Everyone's running around doing other stuff, but there's a better story we can share. I want to share that story. Anybody, a lot of several, raising their hands. Yes, let's do that. Ask God for boldness to share Christ with others. Maybe there's a friend right now you've never trusted Christ. You're not yet part of the bigger story, the better story. Today, Believe the gospel. Confess Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let him know that you believe he died on the cross and rose again and ask him to save you, and he will. You can live and know I'm forgiven of all my sin. If you want to trust Christ and believe and know for certain, let's talk following the service. I'll be available to talk. Pastor Rob will be available to talk. And and, uh, make sure today you really know who Jesus is and be saved. Father, we thank you for this uh, this beautiful day to gather on Christmas Eve to celebrate you. We thank you for the better story of Jesus, of Christianity, the gospel of Christmas. Lord, let us see the redemption and reconciliation and all the other stories around us and, and look for the bigger picture, the better story of Jesus. Let us share that love and hope and peace and reconciliation and redemption with those around us. Lord, thank you for coming to earth for us. We thank you that the Bible, that you are relational. We don't just bounce off of you. We're not all just one, uh, one big unit. We can relate to you. You've related to us. We can have fellowship and relationship with you. And this still is really mind-boggling to consider but we thank you for being our Savior and for being our God. Thank you for coming and being born and living and dying on the cross for us. As we continue the celebration this morning, Lord, we, we just pray that you will bless and encourage each one with these truths. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.